0: Welcome to the Motor City Hoops podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. to episode 74 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. If you are new to the Motor City Hoops podcast, I am your host, Bryce Simon, a former D1 Hooper, current teacher, coach, husband, father of three amazing kids, and contributor of Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. Before we get to today's episode, I want to encourage you to go check out episode 73, where we are joined by Brandon Dent, aka Detroit Kool-Aid, from Woodward Sports Network for an episode talking about Jeremy Grant, Cade Cunningham, the State of the Restoration, and more. On today's episode, the incredible lineup of guests continues as we are joined by one of my favorite guests and good friend, host of one of the best Pistons podcasts there is, a great content creator, just surpassed 1,000 subscribers on YouTube, and verified on Twitter. Our guy from Locked on Pistons Daily Podcast, fresh off Monday morning's appearance on the morning show at Woodward Sports Network, Koo Cahill. Koo, welcome back to Motor City Hoops, and thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Bryce. You know, I, everyone loves when we get together and record a podcast, so I'm, I'm happy that I was able to come on here and, and repay you for all the times you come on Locked on Pistons.
0: No doubt, man. You know you, I, you never have to repay. You know how much I enjoy that time on Locked on Pistons, and I do whenever we get together talking Pistons, I feel like we do good stuff. So I think today's going to be a great episode. But before we get into this one, I want to make sure and encourage you to check out all the content Motor City Hoops is putting out by subscribing to our YouTube channel, following us on Twitter, and consistently checking out the Detroit Bad Boy website for new articles and breakdowns. I have a Pistons defensive breakdown that I'm very excited about dropping in the middle of this week. We have a very special episode for you today, as the entire episode will be an all-mailbag segment. We want to thank everyone for the questions and topics you submitted. We actually had so many that we won't be able to get to all of them, and for that, we are truly, truly sorry. We have bookmarked them and hope to get them included in future episodes, but we hope everyone Anyone that submitted a question knows how much we appreciate it before the mailbag though coo, the Pistons finally broke the losing streak the 14 game losing streak on Sunday night against the Miami Heat what were your thoughts on the Pistons finally breaking through and getting a win
1: it didn't, it didn't seem like it was ever gonna happen man it looked like they were gonna lose every single game with the rest of the year it was it was it was definitely a fun fun sight to see um, I really liked it for multiple different, like little development reasons. Uh, I'm not going to waste the time and, and take up too much time talking about Kay Cunningham impacting the game beyond scoring. Killian, you know, answering the call after only playing three minutes in the first half, finding through that mental block, coming out in the second half and scoring 11 points. Sadiq Bay putting together a third straight great game with Jeremy Grant out. All kinds of things to talk about, but overall, just a really good win for the Pistons. Everyone needs to see a win, including the young guys. You don't want that kind of, you know, even with, within a rebuilding season or losing season, you don't want to have too many losing streaks like this that can like form bad habits and create a bad locker room. So definitely a good win all around.
0: Okay. So I do want to go and spend some time on Cade Cunningham. And I want to give you this chance because you've talked about it. What did you love about Cade Cunningham's game on Sunday night? Because if you look at the box score, I think people are going to go, Oh, we only had four points. He didn't like even I was kind of tweeting out, man, like Cade's not getting enough shots. But I actually rewatched the film before we recorded here Monday evening. And it's like, well, duh, this is why he wasn't getting more shots. So what did you like so much about Cade's game on Sunday night?
1: Well, you, you kind of talked about it. He, he only took, what was it, four shots? He only scored four points. Uh, I liked how he, you know, before the end of the game, like the last two minutes of the game, when he picked up two quick turnovers on an offensive charge and a, when he shuffled his feet on a trap, uh, he basically had 10 assists to two turnovers. Uh, the Heat were trapping him on every pick and roll, every handoff, dribble, uh, DHO, every time they were trapping him instantly. Uh, and he could have panicked. He could have went out, turned the ball over a ton, threw a bunch of bad passes, tried to force some bad shots. Uh, but he didn't do that. He let the game come to him. He le- took what the defense was giving him. And, and this game, it was giving it to Isaiah Stewart and letting his teammates try to make a play or trying to find a skip pass over to the corner or making that quick pass to the wing. You know, sometimes there's going to cause for that. And there's one thing I actually want to say. I, I said this on the podcast. I even mentioned, I feel like, I think I mentioned it a little bit on Woodward Sports this morning that, you know, I, looking back, if the Pistons were trying to like make the playoffs or this is like a, a legit game, like a meaningful game, then you could probably say like, the business probably could have helped Cade and try to get him some points and some opportunities off ball or without a trap coming to him or tr- you know try to get him opportunities where he doesn't have to worry about a second defender coming. He, they could have done a better job of doing that. However, I think Dwayne Casey did that on purpose because he wanted you – know, this is a good experience. He hadn't really experienced this yet. He's had a really good last was it, last 10 games where he's averaging like 20 points a game on like 50% shooting from the field, 42% from deep. Uh, so he hadn't really experienced that yet, and that's something he's going to – it's going to keep happening to him over and over the longer he continues to show everybody that he's a legit star in this league. And the Pistons don't have that much offensive talent around him. So it's going to continue to happen. So I feel like Dwayne Casey almost did it on purpose. I continue to make him go through this over and over again as part of a learning experience, development wise. I feel like he answered the call. Like I said, he had 10 assists to two turnovers until like the last two minutes of the game. I thought he did a great job of that list. He may try to create the plays off of his gravity. Uh, and that, you know, that, that kind of calls back to when I got pretty mad over the the end of game play call that Dwayne Casey called. I believe like two weeks ago it was where Cade was inbounding the ball because he didn't even utilize his gravity. This game, I feel like a lot of the Pistons offense, even if it didn't show up in the box score as an assist, it probably was a hockey assist. So everything was just created basically off of K's gravity of creating double teams each time he touched the ball. Uh, and I thought he did make great decisions off of it.
0: Yeah, I love that you use that term gravity. It's one I've become, you know, really, really, uh, prone to using. And I, I, Cade has incredible on ball gravity. And if you want to see what Ku is talking about, I actually did a quick little breakdown on this. So go subscribe to the Motor City Hoops YouTube channel. I did a breakdown drop that Monday morning and you can kind of see what they're doing with those traps. And it really, I tried to highlight a couple plays where the Cade and then the three sophomores all worked together and ended up with wide open Sadiq Bay three either off an Isaiah Stewart short roll pass or one thing that you started to highlight and I'll let you talk about him just real quick before we get into the mailbag a a flare screen from Killian Hayes where he recognized everything that was going on and I talked about this he can use his high level basketball IQ off the ball to make plays like this so they trapped the ball screen he saw that the weak side guys were going to have to tag on the roll and then he set a flare screen that left Sadiq Bay with a wide open three what have you seen from Killian Hayes here recently that you either like or don't like, or has you encouraged about his game, and then we'll get into the mailbag.
1: Uh, I feel like anyone who follows me or knows anything about me, they know that I'm I'm, I'm a believer in Killian. I really like Killian. Uh, But I feel like what we've seen, and I feel like we've seen this a lot of the year, uh, throughout the majority of the year, it's just like different aspects of his off-ball game coming together. So like earlier in the year, it was just catch and shooting. Then he had this thumb injury happen, and since his thumb injury, he's playing through it. He's shooting around, I think twenty nine, thirty percent right now from deep. Since then, it was I believe it's over the past eight games since he uh, returned from that four-game absence. Since then, now he's he was backdoor cutting a few, for a few games there. He's he's becoming a better cutter off-ball. Uh, I think you saw that in the heat game as well. He didn't score a lot off of it. He didn't get the ball many times, but a lot of those cuts are creating. It's another, I'm going to use gravity again, him cutting down into the lane forces the defense to suck in. And that creates open kickouts, even if he doesn't get the ball. So there's another aspect that you saw in this heat game. And then, like you said, uh, this isn't the first time we, me and you have pointed out him doing this flare screen off ball that create an open three uh, for a teammate. He did that, I believe two games ago for Frank Jackson along the left wing uh, in semi transition. So I, I feel like something that the, the biggest takeaway for me was uh, one, Killian only playing three minutes in the first, or like three or four minutes in the first half because he had, was in foul trouble, excuse me, uh, and he could have zoned out the game, could have checked out, but he came in the second half and was aggressive, scored eleven points, and also like I said, the totality of his off ball game that he he's using to develop his high off uh, high basketball IQ that you mentioned, uh, it's catching, shooting, it's cutting, it's as backdoor cuts, it's. Uh, uh, flare screens, like you said, all those things coming together off ball that I'm really enjoying to see from him.
0: Well, I think one thing that we can take away along with gravity from the first 10 minutes of this episode is Cade and Killian's contributions go far beyond the box score. And if you want to really appreciate what those guys bring to the game for the Pistons, you can't just look at the box score. You have to watch the games and you can't always just watch the ball when watching the games. You have to watch away from the ball because those guys do a lot of little things, quote unquote, little things that contribute to winning. I'm not saying they're great. I'm not saying I'm all in on Killian or Cade's going to be the next LeBron. All I'm saying is you can't just take the box score at face value when it comes to those two guys. But I want to bring in our guy, Wes Davenport, the producer of the Motor City Hoops podcast. We usually hear Wes's voice during the sheed or sham, which I think would have been a blast to play with Koo, but the next time we have him on, we'll have to play that. Today, he's just going to help us guide guide us through the mailbag question. So Wes, welcome. Thank you. As always, you're the man. I appreciate you so much. I can't tell you enough how much you do for Motor City Hoops, but take it away with the first question.
2: All right. Thanks, Bryce. Uh, we will jump right in. This one's going to go right to uh, Yuku. So first up, the worm from DBB. He asks, who will be the coach next season?
1: Dwayne Casey. I'm not, I don't think I had to dive too far into that one. I think it's pretty straightforward. I don't think there's much of an argument for otherwise. Uh, he just got that extension. I think his job's pretty pretty safe. So, uh, yeah, Dwayne Casey.
0: So let's elaborate on this, coup. Do you think Dwayne Casey – how long do you think Dwayne Casey's going to coach? Like you don't have to give me a year, but I heard you talk about on Woodward Sports this morning and you kind of answered this question. Do you think he's going to be here for the next four or five years? I mean, he's up there in age, so I don't know that like 10 years is really even enough. Like at what point is it going to become time – to cut loose with Dwayne Casey and hand the reins to somebody else and this roster to somebody else who probably maybe can do a better job with it? Because I think we both agree about what Dwayne Casey's role is with the development of this young team.
1: I would say 2023. That's that's when I think that you may see a change happen. So uh, not this season, not next season, but 2023, 2024 is when I think that season right there, I think that's when you'll see a change.
0: So we've talked about this on the Locked on Pistons podcast, and, and I think we both are can critique Dwayne Casey and look at little things. What What do you think – I want to give you a chance to be positive here, Ku. What What are the things that Dwayne Casey does that you think are really important that maybe are going unnoticed that you really appreciate about what Dwayne Casey does as the coach of this roster?
1: The main thing about Dwayne Casey that he's always going to have, whether you disagree with his X and O's, uh, his strategy, offensive s- scheme – all those things. The one thing that's supposed to be the biggest positive with him is he's going to get his his players to play hard for him. They're going to buy into whatever it is, whether it's a bad scheme, good scheme, or, uh, whatever. They're going to buy in. They're going to play extremely hard for him, uh, and he's going to get the most out of them. He's, he's going to get the most he can out of these guys. So uh, those are the three positives that you're always going to get d- with Dwayne Casey. Uh, I know that's that even that's starting to come up was starting to come under some uh, criticism. Uh, this season, because the team has seemed to take a step back somewhat, uh, but since Jeremy Grant went out, Sadiq Bey, who I think received the primary amount of that criticism, uh, has bounced back with three great games back to back to back. So, uh, yeah, I think that's Dwayne Casey's obviously his biggest strength is that he's going to get guys to buy in, play hard and, and get the most out of them.
0: Yeah, I think we've talked about this. Like we're, we're just hoping that he's doing the things behind the scenes or maybe even in front of our eyes to turn these young players into pros, true professionals come in, work day in, day out, do things the right way. And then he may not be the one that sees the, the fruit of his labor on the other end, but he can definitely take pride in the fact that he was here at the foundation. So Wes, what is our second question here for the mailbag episode? All right. So this one is from
2: Twitter. Uh, it's from the handle at, at Pistons. Uh, he asks, What style of offense should the team be running in place of the DHOs and ISO ball?
0: So I will take this one away, Koo, because I've kind of pushed a narrative recently and I'm going to continue to push that narrative. I think you agree with it, but I, and I think they've tried. So that I I want to say that caveat as well. I want to see this team continue to push the ball in transition. And I know everybody thinks, well, you have to get stops and and the defense hasn't been very good lately, but I think they can push even after a make, you get the ball out, you outlet it to Cade or even Killian, whoever's in the game, whoever's hands, you want the ball in, and then you just get right into some action, some secondary action. You know, Ideally, I think we'll, we'll, sure, we'll talk about this. Ideally, it'd be right into a ball screen action. But I think transition is where I would like to see this play, team play, or at least continue to play based on what we've seen recently.
1: Yeah, I, I'll agree with that. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'll agree with that. Uh, I also would just like to point out that I'd like to see them run a little bit more pick and rolls. Um, even though we, me and you have talked about this on the Lockdown Pistons podcast too, that You know, they may not have the greatest pick-and-roll big guy on the floor. And I saw you even point out in your breakdown today that, and that was something I honestly wanted to to talk about as well with you, was Isaiah Stewart, he doesn't seem to – You broke it. I believe it was the first play you broke down that he didn't roll, or maybe the second one. I don't remember which one, but it was one of them. Uh, And Isaiah Stewart didn't roll very fast or hard to the basket. He kind of like shuffles his feet and doesn't really like do it like a legit roll to the rim. So even even though you don't have like a great, you know – roll guy i still think it would be smart for them to run pick and roll still because i feel like that's where uh that's where killian that's where kate play their best uh would they be would they be better if they had a better pick and roll guy yeah but i still feel like uh that that functions pretty well for them uh and you saw saw yesterday especially if kate's going to attract double teams each time uh that can get you in four and three situations all the time with isaiah stewart uh and uh handling the ball at like the high post when he gets it has to make a decision. And then at that point that comes on Isaiah Stewart's development. Now you want to see him start making better decisions and knowing what to do at that point. So uh along with transition, I'd like to see some more pick and rolls in the
0: offense. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, you know, Isaiah Stewart's improvement. And that's what I did a whole breakdown because I saw guys like you and Hal talk about, you know, him not being effective in the in the ball screen situation. So I wanted to see it for myself. So I went back and really focused on some film. And and then in current games, this was a couple of weeks ago now, and he does, he has a lot of work. He leaves a lot to be desired, just in, desired, excuse me, in ball screen situations. So do you think that's why we don't see more ball screens, Ku? Like you've been around the NBA game more than me. I, I'm pretty new to like, actually really watching in NBA games, night in, night out, strategies, all of those types of things. Is this Dwayne Casey's kind of – is this his thing that he doesn't run a ton of pick and roll? Is he not trusting the young guys? Is it because we don't have the ball screener to do it? Why do you think we're not seeing more ball screen action from this team?
1: Um, I, I, I would say that I don't think that it's a huge part of Dwayne Casey's scheme. Uh, if you go and talk to Toronto guys, which I, I've talked to a lot of Toronto fans bef- over the years – uh, their biggest critique of Dwayne Casey, and I mean, I, I guess you kind of saw that in the national level too, every time they meet up with LeBron or meet up uh, or lose in the playoffs, that their offense dwindled, dwindled down a lot to ISO heavy basketball. Uh, and I feel like in his first three years with the Pistons, uh, you even saw that too. There was, I, I know you weren't around for this, Bryce, but in his first season, uh, he still had Reddy Jackson, who's a pretty damn good player still for the Clippers. Uh, and Reddy Jackson was coming off, of, I believe, an ankle injury the previous season, and Dwayne Casey, and this was the year the Pistons brought back Arnie Kander, their legendary trainer, and he said that he doesn't believe that Reggie Jackson would be the same until January, at least he wouldn't be 100% until January. Uh, So for the first half of the season, pick and rolls basically were non-existent, and they started to pick up a little bit once January came around with Reggie Jackson, but even still, there was a lot of people clamoring for it more, and even in Blake's best season, which was that same season with the Pistons, the 2018-2019 season, um, a lot of it was dribble handoffs with, I believe, Wayne Ellington and Reggie Bullock. Uh, he was really good with that. Uh, he also ran some, some I, I don't know if I really want to call it, you know, it, pick and, he kind of ran pick and rolls with Andre, but it really was just get the switch onto a center and then he went at the center. Every now and then they run the pick and roll. But I, I haven't seen in Dwayne Casey's offense, the pick and roll be like a heavy part of his game. Now, the numbers may be may not support that. I'm not looking at the numbers right now. Uh, but from my eye test and we, what I've watched over the years and what I've heard from people across uh, Toronto, people who've watched Dwayne Casey, I don't want to say it's like non-existent, but I don't I don't think that it's been a very uh, heavy part of his offense. But uh, real quick, Bryce, I want to add to your point about transition real quick, just to like buffer your point. I looked this up on Clean the Glass. Uh, the Pistons since November 15th, actually, Bryce in all transition, they're 11th in the NBA in transition frequency, where you know that me and you were talking about the first two weeks of the season, they were like last in the NBA. So since November 15th, they're 11th in total transition frequency off steals, they're 16th in the NBA, and off of live rebounds, which is, like you mentioned, off a defensive stop, they're sixth in the NBA. So, and this is where they're at their best, they're ninth in the NBA in points per play off of live rebounds, pushing in transition. So, uh, that speaks to what you were talking about, how the, them needing to get stops and push and transition. They've actually done a pretty good job of doing that over the past month or so.
0: Well, that's that. those are great numbers because not only have they started playing faster, but it sounds like based on the production, they're doing it efficiently as well. You know, like it's one thing to play fast. I I highlighted that a a month or so ago that, yeah, we wanted them to play faster. I wanted them to play faster, but they weren't always finishing in those situations. But as they play in those situations more, I think they'll get more comfortable. Real quick, you don't have to like be a one word answer, but real quick before, because I think the next question does change topics. Since you brought the transition back up, who would you... Rather see when they're on the floor together. Who would you rather see get the outlet, Killian Hayes or Cade Cunningham? Because what I don't like is watching both of them stand there and look for the outlet pass. Because that just wastes a guy that could be running the floor. So on the floor together, who would you rather see getting the outlet pass and why?
1: That's a that's a tough question. Um, I guess I would say Cade because he's more of a threat to score. However, I feel like C- Killian plays a little bit faster in transition. He's trying to get the ball up quicker and he's probably going to get more quicker opportunities I feel like at the rim for somebody else in transition but I feel like they both can do it but I do agree with you they don't need to be just sitting back there waiting for it so I, and I think you've seen over the past few games you'll see Killing kind of just like Killing kind of like defers the Cade when he's on the floor with that uh, I've seen a few times where he just runs on the court kind of like we just mentioned with the flare screen to fl- Frank Jackson he just took off on the floor and let Cade take it uh, but I guess the answer would be Cade even though like I said I, I think Killing probably would speed it up more Cade kind of like he runs and tra- he Speeds it up, but he kind of plays at his own pace. Uh, Killian tries to get the ball up as fast as possible. So I guess it's just a preference of which one. I would say Cade, though.
0: Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't mind Killian, though, either, because I do think Cade could be better off the ball in those situations, even though we've highlighted Killian's slow baby steps at being better playing off the ball. But you get the ball in Killian's hands in transition. He gets his eyes up. Cade's the better shooter right now. He's more aggressive to the rim right now. So I wouldn't hate it. The ball being in Killian Hayes' hands in those specific situations. Now, when you're running half-court offense, maybe you switch it up. But I wouldn't mind seeing it in Killian's hands just a little bit more in true transition. But enough there with the coach talk. Uh, Wes, come back in. Give us question number three. I think we're switching topics here a little bit. Yeah, we're switching some topics. These are going to be more uh,
2: geared to some of the younger players. So this one's from Twitter. Uh, it's uh, at Lee, and I hope I say it right, uh, Winkleman. And Koo, we're going to send this over to you first. So he says, take each of the Pistons' young players. Which category will they be in about five years from now? The categories are All-NBA, All-Star, Starter, Rotation Player, Bench Player, or Out of the League. And if you need, uh, I can have a little list of a, a few of the young guys for you.
1: No, you got, I was going to say, I think I got the list of guys right now. If I forget anybody, just let me know. Uh but okay, so Cade, I'll go all NBA. I think he'll be an all NBA guy in five years. Killian, I'll believe that he's gonna be a starter. Bay, I believe he'll be a starter. Stu, I believe will be a rotational player. Saban, I believe will be a bench player. Livers, I think will be bordering on either rotational player or bench player. Garza, I think will be bordering on either bench player or out the league. Pickett, uh I, I would I'm gonna take a guess and say out the league. Smith, I'm gonna say out the league and bullets, so I'll say out the league.
0: Yeah, so I think I'm gonna, I'm not gonna give like a whole lot of you know counter to any of that. I think we agree. And then um, you know, Cade, I have all NBA. Killian and Sadiq, those are the two. Right now, I keep wavering back and forth, Ku. So those may be the two that we talk. I know we've talked a lot about those guys already. I keep going back and forth between starter and rotation player between those two guys. I don't think either of those guys end up being like bench guys or out of the league, but I do see a world where those guys possibly end up rotation players and not starters. I think Stu, when this team is good, is a rotation player. I think he's a third big on a good team. Sabin Lee, probably a bench player. Isaiah Livers, I'm not sure we've seen enough. It probably depends on how true the shooting is, rotation or bench guy. And then I'm with you on Pickett, Smith, and Balsa, probably out of the league. Garza, I think, at least stays around as a bench player, unless he wants to be out of the league making a ton of money in another country. So, Based off what I said there, are there any that you kind of are interested in or want to kind of dive a little bit more into?
1: No, I think we – obviously, I think we agree pretty pre, uh, point to point. Uh, again, I, I agree with you that Killian, Killian and Bay are the two guys, I feel like, from that core four that people call them that could be starters. I think we see enough – again, I, every time I say this, I'm not saying Stewart will not get better. and he, I'm writing the ending to his career but I think we've seen enough to where you could probably reasonably say that he probably is is best used as a backup and that's where he'll, his career is probably going to be at at a high level backup possibly. Uh, But yeah, I think Killian and Killian and Sadiq are the two guys I feel like have that. They have areas that need to prove. They both have like a, like a foundational framework that that makes starters and that, can they can build off of that? Uh, Sadiq, obviously, the three and D thing, and Killian, the tran like a Lonzo ball, like the transitional playmaker, great defender. And if he continues to prove off ball shooting, a uh, catch and shooter. So, I, I feel like they, like you said, they'll waver between starter and rotational player de- depending on how they develop. Uh, but those are the only two guys I think from this list outside of K that are starters, possibly.
0: I love the Londo ball. Wes is the one that brought that to me. The comp for Killian Hayes, and I I was so excited when I heard you drop that on the Woodward Sports. So, uh, not to take Wes's job from him, but I have a couple follow up questions. So you can just answer these, you know, relatively quickly. But I tell you, one of the guys becomes an All Star that we didn't say. So we only said we said Cade All NBA, and then we didn't say All Star for anybody else. If I told you one of that group becomes an All Star, who would you put your money on that it was? Killian. You love you like Killian's ceiling. I love your transition on, on Killian from about twelve months ago. Okay. I tell you that one of Livers, Garza, Pickett, Smith, and Balsa becomes a rotation player. Who is it? Livers, Garza, Pickett, Smith, and Balsa. Livers. Okay, so that's you have more confidence in Livers over Luca Garza.
1: as the thing with Livers is I think he again, he kind of follows in like with Sadiq Bey. He has It depends, like you said, if his shot follows, but he 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 looks like the type of guy who will be in the NBA for a long time is like an end of bench, possibly end of rotational guy, simply because he should be able to shoot threes and play decent enough defense. So that that would be the guy I'd pick. All the other guys, I think, have too big of holes that make it to where they are unplayable.
0: Okay, okay, Wes, let's bring you back in. I think we have one more question that kind of has to do with the lineups a little bit. So let's stay on that or excuse me, the, the young guys. Yep, we do. Uh, so this is the last one on this. And again, I hope I'm
2: going to say this right, but it's Odd uh, from DBB. And we're going to go uh, send this one to you, Bryce, first. So is the team developing the right things? And are there any positive development signs you've taken so far from this season?
0: This one is hard because it's hard to say that they're, you're seeing the development you want whenever the team has only won five games and I would say Isaiah Stewart. We'll see if Koo agrees with me or not. I think Isaiah Stewart has been stagnant in terms of his development. But – and I'll go through him. Killian, I think we've seen improvement. Sadiq Bey, obviously, if we had this question a week ago on last week's podcast or two weeks ago, we would say no. Like it's been a negative development. But at least what we've seen recently, I would say at least it's been stagnant or the same as last season. My thing is, I say it's stagnant, but has it really been, or were our expectations for those guys so low? I don't want to say low, but they exceeded expectations so much, and then our expectations were too high this season. I do think there has to be some good things. Frank Jackson's been playing better. Hommies look good. Has it taken longer than what people have wanted to see from these guys individually? Probably so. I understand that. But I preached all off season. Let's give it 82 games to judge any of these guys, and I'm going to stand by that. So I'm going to stand by that. Yes, we're going to continue. We're going to see the development that we want to see.
1: Um, so I'll say that I I know Bryce said something at the beginning of the podcast about staying positive. I'm trying. I don't I don't want to be the, the negative person on the podcast. Uh, but I think if you're just being straightly objective, I think you would have to say no that you're, there hasn't been a lot of positives about this season. Uh, there. And we talked about this a lot in the podcast, too, Bryce, on Lockdown Pistons. The average margin of victory for the Pistons is like way, way lower than it was last year. So my point is, was bringing that up, is that they're not expected to win. But I don't think anyone thought they were going to come out here and look historically awful like how they did like the first. What was like the first 24 games where they were like one of the worst offenses we had ever seen in NBA history. I don't think anyone expected that bad. Um, I agree with you about Isaiah Stewart. I actually, I don't want. To say, I can't say that he's taken a step back, but I think I feel like his defense has, at the very least, stayed the same from last year. Um, maybe I don't think he's been as switchable as he was last year. Like that popped off the screen a lot last year in his rookie season. I can't say it's popped off the screen as much this year of him being able to guard guys in the perimeter. Maybe because he just hasn't been given that kind of like opportunity to do so. But ha- I can say it hasn't jumped off like it did his rookie year. Um, but I think at the very least, you can you can say he's stagnant, like you said, uh, not. Just straight up awful, but he definitely hasn't taken a step forward shooting wise and uh, in, in other areas on offense. So stagnant, I think, would be a best word for him. Um, Killian, I think you can clearly see has taken some steps forward. Phew, excuse me, I had to sneeze. <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, but I think Killian, you can clearly see has taken steps forward uh, in certain areas, albeit very small uh, in some areas, and some areas pretty big, uh, but. He did have a low low bar set for him because of his rookie season and the minimal amount of games he played. Either way, I, I feel like he's one of the clear guys who have gotten better from last year. And then the controversial guy that that you kind of spent a little time on was Sadiq. And the last three games have been really good, yes. But it's too much of a sample size before then for me to act like these three games completely wipes out what we saw before then. And what we've seen for the majority of the season was him take a major step back uh, just to give some season numbers, he t- he's shooting 36% on the year, 31% from deep, 44% efficiency field goal percentage. He's down 3% from t- on, on two-point field goals. He's shooting 79% from the free throw last, down five points free throw percentage. Uh, and then true shooting percentage, he's at 47%. That's around Stanley Johnson type of numbers when he was with the Pistons. Uh, you guys who know, follow me, you guys get that joke right there. Uh, but I, I, Sadiq is, is trending the right way now. Uh, and I actually, I don't know if we get a question about this at some point on the podcast, but I was gonna add, I wanted to hear your thoughts on the possible Jeremy Sadiq little little issue that could be arising for the Pistons. But since Jeremy has been out, Sadiq definitely has taken it to the next level and is playing really well since then. So if he continues to play like this, not just putting up 25, 23 points, but with this processing and making the right decisions and is overall playing better, then obviously if he stays like this, then it's a major plus. But I, I, after three games... Like we watched 20 games of him just being a major step back. Three games isn't enough for me to then just say those 20 games don't matter. I need to see it last a little bit longer. Because remember, we saw the first four games of the year, and he looked like he was taking a step forward. Then we got 20 games of him just a major step back. So I need to see a larger sample size before I say it's a step forward.
0: Yeah, but it's the headband is making the difference, Koo, So yeah. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many, how many. Ga- no, I agree. Three games is too much. I think I tweeted that out that while I would never want somebody to call somebody a bust or say they can't do it or whatever after three games of negative play, we can't hold the- We have to have the same thing whenever it's positive play. And just on Stanley Johnson, I avoid Stanley Johnson conversation at all costs. I haven't been around here very long, but I know enough to never bring that up. And so I just, <laughs> I just avoid that. But you, did a great job. You're going to lead us right into the next question as you were 30 minutes in and we hadn't even brought up Jeremy Grant. So we're going to, I believe the next question has to do with Jeremy Grant.
2: Yeah, it does. Uh, so it's the one trade question we got. It's uh, from Twitter at, uh, hopefully I say it right again, it's at Tom Charest. Uh, and cool we're going to send it to you right away. Um, other than Jeremy Grant, who else do you see getting traded? Maybe Josh Jackson because he's an expiring. Maybe Corey Joseph.
1: Okay, so obviously I think Jeremy's the obvious answer. And then outside of Jeremy, I think Josh is also the obvious answer. Uh, Josh is out the rotation. He hasn't played very well. He's pretty buried on the death try thing right now. Like we're even seeing Ryan Magruder play over him recently. Uh, so I think he's pretty buried. And I, I think Josh is the obvious choice. Uh, if you wanted me to go a little spicy with it. Uh, I would say one of the young guys get traded with Jeremy Grant for someone else.
0: Yeah, okay. So that's what I was literally writing. You know how I like my notepads, uh, uh, (laughs) Koo. I was literally writing down, I was going to put you on the spot and ask you for the surprise trade or the surprise person that may be in a trade. And you kind of get – so you alluded to just a few minutes ago the Jeremy Grant versus Sadiq Bey thing though. So I want to give you a chance to go back to that because I do agree. I think Jeremy Grant – If Jeremy Grant doesn't get traded at the deadline, he definitely gets traded this offseason. I I think like there just can't be – I think – I don't know who I was listening to today. There can't be this much smoke and not any fire to all the Jeremy Grant trade conversation. But you brought up the Grant versus Bay thing, so I want to give you a chance to talk about that real quick.
1: Uh, Yeah, I I just wanted to get your thoughts on it and pick your brain but because I think it's a legitimate – and I feel like there was was tiny conversations. I wasn't having them, but I saw them happening throughout – the Pistons community about Jeremy versus Sadiq. If Sadiq is at his right position, can they can he play together with Jeremy? Uh, with the way Jeremy was playing this year, because I feel like the way Jeremy was playing with this year was not how he was playing last year. Uh, I actually, Bryce, it's funny. Um, <laughs> there was a tweet I saw the day. I forget who it was from, but it was listing all the mid-range jumpers. I don't know if you saw it. I saw this one. Yes, yes, you saw it. it <laughs> yes, Jeremy Grant was like towards the bottom of the. He he has like I think a hundred. I think it was a hundred and eight mid-range possession. I might be off that a little bit. But he was tore. I think he was the third worst percentage wise from mid range at like thirty three percent. So not good. Uh, but either way, my point is, since he's been out, Sadiq has absolutely taken off. And I- I'm willing to say, I was actually going to talk about this a little later in the week. Uh, I don't know if you if you were thinking about talking about it, or if you already have the numbers in front of me, or if you, if you're already doing a breakdown because Bryce is a maniac and he does like eight hundred things at once. Uh, but the offense, I feel like is. I think it looks a little better without Jeremy. I think it's flowing a little bit better. I think it's it's the ball's moving a little bit more. They're running more in transition. I really feel like Hamadou Diallo is a really good fit with the starting lineup. People questioned it because his outside shooting, but they didn't under what they didn't take into account was his slashing ability and his ability to uh, explode into the lane. And also his he's not going to hold the ball and try ISO. He's either going to go straight to the rim or he's going to keep the ball moving. I feel like that's a big thing too. Uh, so I think. That at this point, I think it's legitimate, and it's, it's kind of crazy because I just said in the last question that three games isn't enough for me to say Sadiq's season was made. But apparently, three games is enough for me now to say it's legitimate to think that maybe Sadiq and the Pistons, and overall, are better without Jeremy Grant development wise. Uh, and I think that's the conversation that should be had Jeremy versus Sadiq, because uh, it clearly looks like Sadiq is more comfortable at the four, and he's operating better without Jeremy out there. I feel like a lot of the other guys are too.
0: You know, I mean, I think it's fair to bring up after three games because it was a conversation, like you said, that's been had, you know, going back to the beginning of the season or end of last season. Lance Caporossi, a friend of the show as well, is the guy that brought it up to me. He's from the Everything Pistons podcast. And he said, you know, he was the first one that started talking to me about those two guys kind of being a little bit redundant with each other. And you can start to see it. And maybe Sadiq Bey's more natural position is going to be at the four. He's a stronger guy. You would think that he'd be able to hold up there defensively, his rebounding, his been better so that is going to be really interesting to see as we're going to get plenty of time whether Jeremy gets traded or not we're going to see plenty of time with Sadiq Bay playing at the four and this starting lineup and and I was one of those guys I'm a huge Hami guy you know this Koo but I wasn't sure about Hami in the starting lineup I thought maybe he's a guy that's better suited coming off the bench but he's played really well I love that he's getting his chances and taking advantage of those so And I did see that mid-range shot. I think it was everybody who's had over 80 shot attempts from the mid-range, and Jeremy was like the third worst in terms of efficiency. But let's move on. I think we're now going to get into a new topic of kind of questions about next season or maybe this offseason. So, Wes, take us away with this one.
2: So uh, this is from DBB. Uh, It's KCP for three, and we're going to send it to you, Bryce. Uh, So the question is, what are your thoughts on a free agency strategy focused on signing guys who don't suck, but also won't make us good enough to say we definitely won't have another lottery shot in the 2023 draft. So those guys could be uh, Jalen Brunson, Mitchell Robinson, TJ Warren, uh, players like that.
0: Yeah. So whenever I first read this, I wasn't really sure about the question. And then the the second part, Like I think he's essentially asking, do we spend some of this money on guys who are going to make it so we're not sitting at five and 20 to start the season? But we're still going to have great lottery odds again for not the 2022 draft, but the 2023 draft. And I would say, no, that's not the offseason I'm looking for. I'm looking for, as you know, you've seen this, me and Hal have gone back and forth about this just a little bit. On Twitter and I respect the heck out of Hal and I know you do as well and he's a great basketball mind we just have differing opinions if we make a move in free agency if we can if we're able to sign a guy I want it to be a guy that's going to start for this team and be able to grow with this team long term I'm not saying he has to be a 22 year old but I don't want it to be like a 29 30 year old I don't want it to be a guy that's just going to come off the bench I want it to be a guy that you can slide in at the three or a guy that you can slide in at the five and be a starter and so that's what I would be looking for in this free agents class, along with the draft pick that's hopefully Paolo Bencero or J- uh, Javari Smith or Chet or whoever it ends up being.
1: My free agents' thoughts would be simply go get a, a, a role man center. That's, that's what I want. That, that's, that's legit all I think the Pistons really need to be targeting. Um, they could go after, they could make a big splash, but I think you just said it. I don't think this is the season they decide to go with the big splash. I think that's next off season. Uh, so, but this offseason, I think the main priority is simply to attack, uh, the center position. Um, and I, I think they should go find a lob threat. Mitchell Robinson, I think was a great, I, I would really like Mitchell Robinson, uh, but just about, you can get anybody who's just a, a good pick and roll threat, creates gravity on the lobs, uh, that, that kind of thing. I think that would go a long way for the Pistons, but yeah, I, I overall agree. I don't think they should waste too much money or spend long-term money. I would say like. For example, I think a Kelly Olenek type of signing or a Jeremy Grant type of signing, where you could possibly flip it for more assets or more value a year later or in the same season, okay, then uh, that, that that kind of thing I'm cool with. But overall, I, I would be cool with like a Mitchell Robinson light kind of player, just a role guy, uh, and that's really my main priority from the for the offseason with the Pistons. But Bryce, I want to I want to show you this real quick because you you brought up Hami this last segment. I I, I sorry to keep going segue, but I, I want to keep buffering your points to like give them more, even more to it. So Bryce. I just want to ask you this real quick. If you, if I had to make, if I told you to guess what the Pistons' new starting five net rating is uh, so far through four games, what do you think it would be? Uh,
0: minus two.
1: So through four games, they've played fourteen point seven minutes per game together. There are a minus
0: zero point three when they're on the floor. Wow. Which I know people are going to say they're still a negative, but that's got to be a huge improvement from what the normal net rating is. Yep, and I was just about to bring
1: that up to you. So now let's go ahead and compare that to what the overall. Now, I, like you said, even not even considering like the last starting lineup, the team is losing by like eight a game. So like that, almost every lineup is going to be a negative. That what you said was correct. Uh, but let's look at the last starting lineup of Jeremy Grant, Killian Hayes, Sadiq, Isaiah Stewart, and Kay Cunningham. That lineup played 15.5 minutes a game. What do you think their net rating was?
0: <sighs> Minus four. Minus 6.0. So, so it's I, almost a six point net rating improvement.
1: Yep. I I, I know it's only over four games, but I thought, hey, I, I'm, I'm throwing a little like spice out there. I'm starting some drama. Just want to throw that out there for the wolves. And you guys can do with that what you will.
0: No, I love it. And uh, and again, the nice thing is we're going to see this over a large sample size over the next four weeks, at least until either Jeremy Grant gets traded or Jeremy Grant returns from injury unless something else shakes out with the starting lineup. But I want to go back to Wes because you actually had the perfect transition into the next question. So Wes, drop the next question. We're going to be able to spend a little bit more time on that center position.
2: Yep. So, and then this one's uh, from DBB. It's from Canadian Heat fan. And it's gonna uh, we'll go with you first. Koo. Is there a greater need for the future of this Detroit Pistons team than a legit NBA starting center?
1: Uh, yes. That that is that is the biggest need. I don't know. I don't know what other need uh there could be. That I mean, outside of just pure talent. I, I mean, if you wanted to say that, obviously that would be like the biggest need for the Pistons. They need talent on the roster. Uh, but if you're talking about positioning. I think that obviously is the biggest need for this team. Both Killian Hayes and Kay Cunningham desperately need it. And that kind of guy not only helps them too, but like I said, and we've said gravity like five times on the podcast already, but a legit role threat will open up even more shots for the guy standing in the corner or the guy standing on the wing like Sadiq or uh, Frank Jackson or whoever else is in those positions. The Pistons just don't have that right now. They're, they don't have a guy who forces teams to respect them rolling to the rim. Uh, and I think that's obviously the biggest need for him right now.
0: Okay, so let me ask you this, Ku. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, I I I know this trade's probably not going to happen because I don't know what Jeremy Grant does in Indiana, but let's say that we traded Jeremy Grant for Miles Turner. Just live with me here in this world for a second. Miles Turner starts, right, obviously. So, we just talked about Sadiq Bey at the four and Hami Diallo starting and all that. Do you start Miles Turner with Sadiq Bey and Hami? Do you start Isaiah Stewart at the four or are you comfortable when Kelly Olynyk gets healthy bringing Kelly Olenek and Isaiah Stewart off the bench together? How would that shake out to you? How, do you? how do you foresee that happening? Do you see Isaiah Stewart as a four, as the third big off the bench? How would that roster shake out then in that situation?
1: So I just want to make it clear for everyone listening. I know a lot of people have talked about that, and I don't think I've made my thoughts known. So I want to make my thoughts very clear here. You can very, very easily put me on the opposite side of the people who think Isaiah Stewart can play four. I'm not a believer in him at four at all. I don't think he can play it even a little bit. I don't think he's a four at all. He's undersized. So, yes, people are going to naturally say, well, if he's undersized, just put him at the four. He lacks any type of offensive talent or skill set right now to play four right now in the league. Uh, I don't think he can shoot from outside. Obviously, he struggles doing anything off the ball uh, with the ball in his hands. Uh, he's really a lack of, uh, Lack of a threat outside five feet, and he still he he lacks explosiveness in this area as well. So, um, I I I don't I am not a believer in that in him at the four. I think the very clear answer would be Turner at the five, uh, Sadiq at the four, uh, and Hami at the three, which I think would be great because Miles Turner can shoot the three, and he also is a tremendous rim protector. So he would make up for any, uh, you know, if you're worried about losing defense or anything, he's a much much better rim protector than. Than uh, Isaiah Stewart, this dude's averaged like three blocks a game over the last five years. So
0: yeah, Miles Turner is obviously the the dream. We've talked about this plenty on Locked On Pistons. You know that I think we both want, would really love to see Miles Turner become a Detroit Piston, and I don't know that it's going to happen, but I think he'd be a really, really nice fit. But as we talk about the trade deadline, that'll be a perfect transition into a different little bit of segment of questions that we got. So Wes, take it away with the first question, kind of about lineups. So this one's from Twitter. It's
2: from at my underscore Pistons, and we're going to send it to you first, Bryce. Uh, What lineups would you like to see before the trade deadline to help evaluate the roster?
0: Yeah, so this one is really interesting because... I think one thing we're seeing already is with Hamadou Diallo, like in the starting lineup, by giving him those starting lineup, those starters minutes and those constant rotate consistent rotations. I'm going, there's no way you're packaging Hamadou Diallo, or maybe it's a situation where you're trying to raise his value to package him. I don't know. But before that, I'm not sure we had seen enough as much as I loved him that I would have been super heartbroken if he was attached in a deal. I'm not saying you're going to get a lot in return for him by himself, The other one, you brought his name up earlier, Josh Jackson. I really wouldn't mind seeing Josh Jackson get some minutes over the next six weeks, just to see if we can attach him in a trade with Jeremy Grant. Again, not a guy you're going to get a lot out on his own, but he's a guy I wouldn't mind seeing if we could increase his trade value and his trade market just a little bit. But outside of those guys just getting minutes, I'm not really sure there's specific lineups that I need to see to make any decisions on guys.
1: So with with this question, am I answering this strictly when it comes to like for trade purposes? I want to see a lamp simply to try to raise trade value or am I just saying a lineup that I want to see more of by then?
0: That, I would say either to raise trade value or to make a decision on the trade deadline. So I, my understanding of the question was, what lineups would you like to see over the next six or so weeks to help make your decisions or what you would decide at the trade trade deadline based on who you would trade, what team needs are, and those type of things? All right, well, I guess my
1: answer would be the current starting lineup. I'd like to see them play a lot more, a lot more as the year goes on before the trade deadline. That's simply because to, to help ease the decision with Jeremy Grant, uh, I think uh, me and you talked about this price, and I've I've thrown this out there. Jeremy Grant, they're interested in trading him. They're they they are for real interested in trading him. They're looking into it. Uh, I'm go- I believe that he will be traded by the deadline. But playing the starting lineup, continuing to see them play well together, that starting lineup, Sadiq play play the way he does. It does two things, I think. It does one makes the front office a lot more confident in the decision in moving uh, Jeremy Grant and their confidence in Sadiq Bey and the overall starting lineup. And two, I think it will ease the fan base if Jeremy Grant gets traded. They see this lineup play well together. They see Sadiq play well now in Jeremy Grant's absence. So now the fan base, which I've seen some people say, you know, I don't want to see Jeremy go, like I I don't want to see him get traded, all that stuff. I think I think if you see this lineup a lot more before the trade, line, trade deadline and they continue to play really well and Sadiq continues to play well, that could possibly also ease the fan base and, okay, well, fine. It, it, we understand why it's being traded, and you won't have to deal with much backlash if you're the front office.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about the Jeremy Grant trade a lot on your podcast, and I, I think I think this is going to end up being what's best for Jeremy Grant. I've said I didn't want to see Jeremy Grant get traded either, but I think Jeremy—I don't want to say he wants to get traded—but the Cade Cunningham pick changed everything for the Pistons, for the organization, and I think for Jeremy Grant. And we've talked about, like, he doesn't want to be the third wheel next year. Like, he's going to be the third option next year, most likely on a team with Cade Cunningham, the number one option, and whoever we get in the 2022 draft is probably the number two option. And I don't think he signed up for that on a team that's still not going to be that good. So I do think that Jeremy Grant getting traded is probably the best situation for him and for the team. But we only have about 10 minutes left to go, so I want to get through a few more questions so we won't elaborate too much on that one. Wes, take it away. Uh, This one's from Dave
2: on DBB, and we're going to send it over to you first, Koo. Uh, Will Killian and Cade continue starting together the remainder of this season? And what will Cade's stat line look like by the end of the season?
1: Uh, Yes, they'll continue to start the rest of the season. Uh, There's no reason to break them up. Uh, i think you're starting to see a little bit more lately of them staggering them more which is also really helping i think that they're doing really well uh, they both played well when they get staggered but they also can play off of each other as well uh, and i and i think everyone I, I think majority of people like them together i think i think we've seen good things from them um i'm i'm drawing the blank what was he oh the k Cunningham stat line by the end of the year um i think he's trending up towards i think he'll finish around like 17 and a half points 18 points uh five assists, five rebounds
0: Matt Koo, you are you're crushing. We got to bring you on more often, Wes, because he just makes the transitions easy. He brought up the staggering of minutes, which I know is one of the, the next questions coming up as well. But I'll answer this one real quick. I do think we're gonna see those two start. I don't care. I don't care what I shouldn't say I don't care if it looks awful or that I don't care what it looks like. But there's it would have to look really, really bad for me not to want to see it for all 82 games this season. We've missed enough of it here early in the year between Cade's injury, Killian's thumb injury. I don't want to miss any more games of those two guys playing together. So I do think that we're going to see that through the rest of the season. I want to see it through the rest of the season. And I think Cade, yeah, I mean, I think... He's going to end up in that 17 to 18 points per game range. The, the thing I'm really interested to see, I, I think five or six rebounds, five or six assists, is the shooting percentages. Do those continue to climb after the really, really bad start? And we have to remember how bad that start was whenever we look at those percentages. Even if it ends up being decent, you, I mean, it takes a lot of makes to make up for all the misses he had to start the year. But let's transition into the next one. And then while we're answering that, Wes, maybe if we can get some quick hitters together to finish off the episode. I don't know if we have a few Questions that we can just go real quick here to to end it, but if we could compile a few of those, but let's go to the next question.
2: Got it, and uh, we will be able to do some quick hitters after this one. So uh, we'll we'll send this to uh, Koo, you first again. Uh, this is we had two people ask this. is from the double header three uh, one three and at B Norway, uh, both from Twitter. Do you want to see Livers and Pickett this season? Why or why not?
1: Pickett, I don't really care for. I don't care if we see him or not. Livers, I very much would like to see play. I think he should be playing over Trey Lyles. Uh, I'm not going to talk about Trey Lyles any more than that. I refuse to. Uh, but Livers, I, 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 he's an interesting, he's an interesting pick because I, again, I think he's one of those guys who his ceiling is very low, but I think his floor also is pretty high. I, I feel like he he slides right in as a guy who can hit outside shots. He's going to move the ball. Not going to try to do too much with the ball. He's going either catch and shoot or keep the ball moving, and also figures to play it should be able to play decent enough defense to warrant keeping him on the floor. If he's a good shooter. So I think he he should be getting minutes because he should be able to provide what Trey Lyles provides out there outside of, you know, if, if I know they've been playing Trey Lyles at the five some, so if they still are trying to, you know, play someone, one of the fours at five, then obviously, okay, then maybe not. Uh, but once, once they're not doing that, I think liver should be taking Lyles minutes. I, I would like to see him.
0: If we didn't have five or ten minutes left in the episode, I would bring up Trey Lyles and force Koo to talk on this, but I'm not <laughs> but I'm not going to. So I agree. I want to see Isaiah Livers. He's a guy I've been intrigued by all the way back to whenever the Pistons drafted him. He was a guy I was taking in mock drafts whenever I got a chance to do those. And, you know, he just he he was the he was an obvious second round selection to me for the Detroit Pistons. And, you know, I know he didn't make his first couple shots the other night when he got a chance to play, but as we move throughout the season, and you make a good point, we don't want to put Livers in there and force him to play the five like what we're doing with Trey Lyles right now. So whenever they're the 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 rotation's a little more set, whether it's Kelly O'Linick back or whatever it is, and he can truly play at the floor four, that's where I would like to see those minutes go to as well to Isaiah Livers and just see what he has. Because And I will get on Trey Lyles just a little bit. He's not, I don't dislike him as much as a lot of Pistons fans, but he takes way too many shots for my liking. If he turned the aggressiveness from a 10 to about a six, I would be a lot more happy with what we saw, see from him night in and night out. But we got about five minutes left. Wes, if we have a few lined up that we can just kind of go quick hitters, doesn't mean have to be one word answers, coup, but just a little bit quicker back and forth. Try to get just a few in here to end the episode.
2: Yep, I got you. So this is uh, from Twitter again, at Pistons. Uh, Bryce, we'll start with you. Should we see more
0: of the starter staggering minutes? Yeah, and I alluded to this earlier that, that Koo set this one up and transitioned it perfectly. Yes, I do want to see it. I want to see one of Killian Hayes and Cade Cunningham on the floor at all times. I want to see one of Cade, probably Sadiq one of those two guys on the floor at all times just because of the scoring component. So I do want to see more staggering of minutes. I know it's hard when the lineup's always changing, but yes.
1: Yeah. I, I also would like to, I think, I, I don't think it's too hard to stagger Killian and K. That are the ones I agree with you. I think Killian Kay Dwayne it should be, it should be pretty easy to do so. And I think they've started to do that more. So the last three games, so I hope they continue to do that. And I, yeah, I think they should.
2: This is from Dave and DBB. Cool, you first. Where do the Pistons end up in the draft lottery, and who do they select?
1: Uh, they, I, there's no way they get one again, so I'll go ahead and say three, and I don't know much about college prospects. so I'm not going to say a player. Uh, cause I don't know many of them, but I'll, I'll just take a guess and say they fall to three.
0: Yeah, that's what every Pistons fan I talk to says. There's no way they're getting number one again. There's no way they're getting number one again. And honestly, I'm not sure the organization wants that pressure. Can you imagine the amount of pressure on the Pistons if, if you correctly select Cade Cunningham number one this past season, then you get the number one to pick again in a class that has Paolo Banchero and Jabari Smith who and Chet and all these guys that people are so excited about. Like the expectations will be through the roof for this team and organization. I want Jabari Smith. That's the guy I'm sold on. I'm not so about Chet I think I think the Pistons are going to get the number two pick whoever gets number one is going to take Paolo and I think the Pistons are going to end up with Jabari Smith who's a great great fit for this team let's go one more Wes okay uh, quick one this is Hunt Baker
2: from DBB Bryce you first are the Pistons trying to lose games right now
0: no, I don't think so. I don't think they came into this season, you know, purposely tanking quote unquote, kind of like what we saw last season. I think they came in, you know, maybe not as high as expectations as like what I had in terms of how many wins and where they were going to get. Mine were irrational and just flat out wrong. And I understand that now as a fan and I'll learn from that. But I do think they were trying to win games. Like I think they wanted to be competitive. There's been a lot of injuries, a lot of in and out of the lineup, and it just... and then the poor shooting and the, and the cold start in general. So, and I don't think they're tr- trying to lose games right. Definitely not right now. Like they need to win some games right now just to keep some positivity around the team. So, no, I don't think that's happening. We may see it at the end of the year like we did last year, but right now, definitely not.
1: Uh, I don't know if they came in purposely to lose games. Uh, I, don't, I don't think the coaching staff wanted to purposely lose games, but I do think they were relatively trying to do the same thing as last year: uh, be competitive in games, try to be a little bit more competitive, in in, in process of being competitive, um, seeing development from their young guys. So I don't think they necessarily were worried about wins more so the development. But I, again, I don't think they expected it to be this bad either. I, this was this was this was pretty bad. How like through the first twenty-five or so games? So uh, I don't think they were purposely were trying to lose, but definitely not this so somewhere in between
0: all right guys that's gonna do it for this all mailbag episode again i'm so sorry for all the questions we didn't get to there was even more that we didn't get to than what we anticipated and i apologize uh you know wes and i will keep track of those we'll try to fit them in here and there over the podcast the next couple weeks and wes thank you for everything you did you know leading us through this and then ku thank you so much Definitely want to have you back, my friend, and just give a chance right now for you to let everybody know all the amazing stuff that you're doing.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me on, Bryce. Like I said, I owe it to you for all the times you come on Locked On Pistons. You can have me back whenever, man. It's always a lot of fun to record with you. Uh, But you guys can find me over on Twitter, at KukaHill. You can also find... My daily Pistons podcast. Yes, I record about the Pistons daily, five days a week. Pray for me. Uh, but yeah, you can find all of that on Apple Podcasts, all your podcast platforms. You can also find us over on YouTube at Locked On Pistons. We just crossed over a thousand subscribers. Uh, if you are not subscribed or you haven't checked checked out my YouTube channel, go check that out. It's a lot of fun. I think you guys would enjoy it. Uh, like I like Bryce mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I was on Woodward Sports this morning. So if you guys want to go check that out as well, you guys can go do that. But that's that's all I've got. Thank you, Bryce, for having me on, man. I appreciate it.
0: No doubt, no doubt. Make sure you go watch that. That was awesome. I told Koo before we started recording. Like I know him and I are friends and and get along and all of that stuff. But like it really was a great interview. I guess if that's what you want to call. It. Like he great nuggets, great information. You could tell he was prepared. He did a great job with Woodward. And I have a inclination they're going to have him back more and more. And then make sure you go subscribe to that YouTube channel, um, Locked On Pistons podcast. He's doing big things. Follow him on Twitter if you're not. And then as always, I want to conclude the episode by again thanking West for all he brings to and does for the Motor City Hoops podcast he's been an unreal addition I'm so thankful he has jumped on board make sure you give him a follow on Twitter as well and of course without you guys tuning in every week to the podcast there wouldn't be one so I want to make sure I always thank you for listening whether via Apple Spotify the Detroit Bad Boy website or now you can find us on YouTube Thank you guys so much. I'm on Christmas break with teaching and coaching here for the next couple of weeks. So that means the instant recap episodes will be back starting with tonight's game versus the Knicks. I'm excited to start doing some of those again. And next week, we are pumped to be having Omari Sankofa from the Detroit Free Press back on the podcast. That episode should be a lot of fun. Until then, thank you. Go Pistons. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.